past. Look, in Christ, and this is the great news of the gospel, in the forgiveness of our sins, we are perfect. Not by what we do, of course not. Not by what we think or by what we say, but, but how the Lord sees us. He declares us to be perfect. And if he calls us perfect, then we are perfect. perfect. If he calls us holy, then we're holy. If he calls us righteous, then we're righteous. And that's exactly how God sees us by faith. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and His promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigland with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. How are you? Good, Evan. How are you? Good. In the first segment, we're talking about how to get to heaven, uh, first of all. And then uh, we're playing a little Table Talk Jeopardy. Uh, Pastor, what else do we have on, on the list for It looks today? like after the half-hour break, we're going to play Who Wants to Be a Theologian? Uh, a brand new game on Table Talk Radio. Uh, and then we're going to uh, finish the show with some Q&A. Uh, we have some questions, and we will try to get some answers. And we have an 800 number. We do. And that 800 number is uh, 866. Do you have it there? 851-5523. If you have questions, feedback, uh, you'd like your questions uh, answered on the air, you can call that number. Uh, or you can email us at questions at tabletalkradio.org. That is also our... Uh, a website, take off the questions at and put a www.tabletalkradio.org. Of course, and there's always Skype casts. Go to our website, click on the Skype cast, and we have a few listeners listening to us as we record today, and uh, they will be able to uh, uh, chime in with their comments and questions as well. Great. All right, well, uh, once you set up these clips, uh, what were you doing when you, when you got these clips? We had our microphone, a handy microphone, and we went out to the streets of downtown Denver, and we were asking different questions. Uh, what do you think about Jesus? What is the gospel? Um, what do you think about the church? And also, we asked this question, the question I think we have today, isn't it? Uh, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven, yes. And so we asked the question, how do you get to heaven? And we have uh, a number of different answers, so we're going to listen to some of the answers and respond to them. Okay, well, here we go with the first one. I do not believe in heaven. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of people say that you have to believe in God and uh, pray and, you know, accept Jesus into your life to go to heaven. And it's like if you don't, you're a bad person. Well, I'm a good person. Like, I'm an outstanding citizen, you know, good student. Uh, so if there is a heaven, hopefully I'll go in there, If you know, even if I don't believe in God. Okay, so if there's a heaven, I hope I'm good enough to get in there. Yeah, boy, oh, boy. I mean, this is, there's a number of things. I mean, number one, the guy said he didn't believe in heaven, which is honest, uh, just wrong. Of course there's a heaven. I mean, the Bible tells us so. Uh, the Lord uh, did not create us to die and to rot, but rather to live with him e eternally. So that's what heaven is. Uh, but th it's great, isn't it, that uh, s some people say you have to accept Jesus into your heart to be a good person, but that's not true. I'm a good person, so if there's a heaven, uh, even though I don't believe in it, I, I plan on going there. Which And, and th look, Evan, this is it, right? The common answer to the question, how do you get to heaven, is... Is your works. Your works by being good. What does that tell us about a natural man, then? The, uh, that natural man, of course, is proud of himself. 
that the flesh can't stand uh, um, can't stand to know it, the truth about itself, which is that it's dead in sin and trespasses. So we think they were good enough. And really, when you ask this question, I mean, that's what we're going to see as we listen to these clips. The answer is, especially by the unbeliever, but even by a lot of Christians, the answer is by being good or by having good intentions or by trying hard. But that is not the answer. Uh, you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. It's like, you know, when you go visit the Disneyland, something like this, and uh, I know you were always disappointed being a, a short little fellow, and you were never tall enough to go on the rides. Right. They see heaven like this. You've got to be this good to get in. And if you're above <laughs> that, you get to go in the, on the heaven ride and stuff. But but if that's the case, then then the, 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 the marker is so... Fantastically high that you can't even see it. It's a no fifty foot. You have to be at least fifty foot to ride on the right of heaven. Yeah, it's simply impossible. Okay, uh, well, let's see if we can cue up this next clip then on how do you get to heaven. Heaven is by believing in Christ and to uh, be obedient to His ways and to read the Word. Okay, so that's short and sweet. Uh, he started out pretty good to believe in Christ, and then what did he say after that? Well, this is right, just stop there. Uh, believe in Christ. Ah, oh, your heart's. I'm smiling here. Though that's such a great answer. Believe in Christ. That's all. Yes, but then it comes the and. Ugh. And what did it say? And be obedient to him. Yeah, read, right. Read yeah. his word. So faith. So the so to summarize this gentleman's answer to get to heaven, faith plus works. That's how to do it. Now we think you know we, we, when we think of it that way, we say, oh boy, it's like we've returned to, to medieval Catholicism, which taught that exactly that exact thing. You get to heaven by your faith working through love. But no, the scripture says the opposite is true. It's not faith and works. It's it's faith alone. I was thinking about this verse in Romans uh, chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 5. And it, Now listen to this verse. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his, a faith, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So to him who does not work, that works have nothing to do with it. It's simply faith. By faith, the Lord accounts us as righteous and calls us to be his own. So we don't want to add anything. Believe in Jesus. And, and that's where we put the period and, and, and stop there. Real quick, though, there, there's some that say that you know it, it is by, by grace alone, but it, this grace enables us to do the works in in Christ or with Christ um, can that you know with Christ these works get us heaven well it's true that grace does enable us to do works the, the, uh, we by grace and faith we become alive in Christ and living people do things works and serve our neighbor and love but the, these works are not part of our salvation they're the perhaps part of the benefit of being saved but they don't earn or merit us any favor in God's sight in fact the works that we do do are so stained with sin uh, and our own sinful corruption, that the Lord has to bring his forgiveness even to our good works so that they're acceptable in his sight. All right, well, uh, the next question, how do you get to heaven? Um, I think it's, I, I, everybody's not perfect on this earth, but I, I, I would say try to be as close to perfect as you can, or close to good as you can. And here we have this uh, issue of perfection. You know, we can't be perfect. He got that right. It's true, except this is the problem. You see, when he says, no, because nobody is perfect, then perfection is not God's standard. You see how it goes? So uh-huh. oh, no one can be perfect, so, so that means you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. You just have to try. So, so some people say it's, you, you get to heaven by your good works. Other people say you get to heaven by your good intentions. And that's what he was saying. If you try uh, to be as close to perfect as you can, then that will make you good enough to get to heaven. But the, but the answer that the scriptures give is that nobody is good enough, and even our intentions 
are not good enough. This is Romans 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. That talks about who we are and what we do. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. So even our intentions are sinful. Uh, But look, if the Lord were were to open heaven based on our goodness or based on our intentions, uh, then the, the door to heaven would never be would never be opened. But, and, and we should deal a little bit with this, uh, this statement that says that there is nobody perfect. Because the answer to that, is there somebody perfect, Evan? Yes, there is someone. The perfect Lamb of God. Right. Jesus, who is perfect. And But even more than that, I mean, this is the fantastic thing. Uh, and, and so all of you listening, uh, th- this is a, a, a great uh, thing to say, because you hear this all the time. People say, no one's perfect. When someone says that to us, what we should do is we should we should open our jaw and, and look at them wide-eyed with this surprise, as if they'd said something we'd never thought of before. What are you, crazy? No one's <laughs> and then we should say this, you mean, you mean you're not perfect? <laughs> because look, in Christ, and this is the great news of the gospel, in the forgiveness of our sins, we are perfect, not by what we do, of course not, not by what we think or by what we say, but but how the Lord sees us. He declares us to be perfect, and if he calls us perfect, then we are perfect. perfect. If he calls us holy, then we're holy. If he calls us righteous, then we're righteous, and that's exactly how God sees us by faith. So his work to be uh, righteous and perfect is his, in his perfect life here on earth and the... Uh uh, in, in his incarnation, uh, is imputed to us, and he gives that to us. That's right. That's how Paul says it in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, who was perfect, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that in Christ we are the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God. We have all of those things. That's who we are in Christ. And so when someone says, no one's perfect, we should say, what, you're not? Well, I am, because so, I believe in Jesus. So while, while we are, are uh, given the, the great benefits of, of Christ's perfection, at the same time, our sin and, and the consequences of our sin were given to Christ on the cross. That's right. That's right. It's, this is what we call the great exchange. Jesus gets my death, my sin, my ugliness, my imperfection, and I get his holiness and, and his righteousness and his perfection put on me. And so that's how we get to heaven. Exactly. Okay, well, let's see what Street Talk attendee number five had to say about how you get to heaven. For me, heaven is uh, every day. It's not uh, just uh, like uh, something... Um it's, it's everyday life what, what it's like you believe that somebody sent you here and you need to get uh, to get to report back how you spend your time here so heaven is uh, uh, how you spend your days on earth did you find Rick Warren out there on the streets <laughs> of Denver, Colorado? <laughs> that gentleman was from Africa uh, he was a Roman Catholic uh, I'm not exactly sure what he meant but perhaps he was saying that look heaven is not a far off place that we go when we die but heaven is a current reality uh-huh. and in as far as he says that he's right I mean th- this is what Jesus says uh, when he says that the, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life not will have you know someday that we have eternal life now we have heaven now when we have faith in christ and his perfection we we have heaven but it's not about again it's not about reporting back uh to uh, about what we've done or what we haven't done it's simply about believing in jesus and 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 by faith in christ by by trusting in his death in our place that the doors to heaven are flung wide open well, I, I'm afraid we're out of time, Pastor Wolf Miller. Uh, that went fast. We didn't even get to all of our, our clips. 
Um, but uh, fear not, we have a lot more Table Talk Radio ahead. Right after this break, we'll be right back playing Table Talk Jeopardy, in which uh, I am looking for revenge uh, in Table Talk Jeopardy. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Alex Trebet with Theology, you get Table Talk Jeopardy. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor Wolfman, are you ready to play Table Talk Jeopardy? This is my favorite game of all the games that we play on Table Talk Radio. Do you remember that this is the first game we've played on Table Talk, Je- or Table Talk Radio? <laughs> I just love whatever game's right in front of us. <laughs> okay, well, we have uh, a good lineup for Table Talk Jeopardy. Uh, the categories I have for Pastor Wolfmiller are Heresies of the Christian Church and the other category is law and or gospel. That's my favorite category of all. And for you, Evan, uh, two number w- the first one is Old Testament saints uh, through Hebrews 11, and the second is biblical names beginning with the letter P. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of all the, the P characters in the Bible that I know of. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to think of them now. You wait for the questions, and then you answer. Oh, okay, That's how okay. the game all right, well, I was trying to get, get, try and get a head start on you, but okay. Well, I want to go first. Is that all right? Can go, I? go. Okay, uh, I'm going to take uh, Old Testament saints for 100, please. Okay. By faith, blank, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died... He still speaks. I'm going to go with uh, who is able. Who is able is correct. 100 points. Woohoo! Nice work. And this is really stunning, isn't it? That it's by faith uh, that, that Abel's sacrifice is received as, as righteous. This, and this is the same way it is for us, that it's through our faith and trust in Christ that all that, all that we do, the Lord receives it as, as good and as holy. It's wonderful. So it's not that that his his sacrifice was better or anything like that. It was just uh, just by faith. By faith, that's exactly what the text says. So that's that's uh, that's what it is. A, uh, Abel trusted the Lord and His promise that He would send the uh, the Messiah to to die as a sacrifice for sins, and Cain didn't. Uh, and so Abel's Abel's sacrifice is acceptable. Wonderful text. Very good. Uh, I want. I want to try. Um, uh, was it heresies? Of the, was that my category? Heresies. Yeah, of the heresies Christian of the Christian Church or land, uh, law and or gospel. Heresies for one hundred. Okay, uh, this is the belief that says Jesus gained godship at baptism, and God left man at uh, left his manhood at his death. Oh man, this is a tough category. You know, when I was in the seminary, I had a I had a set of flashcards that had all of these uh, heresies on them. You uh, still have the heresy the on one side, and I I was looking before we started the show, and I couldn't find them anywhere. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so that Jesus now, so this is the idea that when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and that's when he gains his divinity, and then before he's crucified, uh, the the divinity leaves him. So it's just the man who dies, right? Oh man! Uh, you know, Evan, I do not know. 
I don't know that I can't think of it. Tell me the name of this heresy. This is adoptionism. Adoptionism. Is there another? Is there a name of the heretic who had it? Do you know? I don't have it on me. So that Jesus was the adopted son of God. He wasn't. He wasn't begotten as the son of God, but he was. He was simply adopted at his baptism. That's right. Yes. And it's wrong. We know that because Jesus is begotten of the Father. The Son of God is begotten of the Father before all worlds, and that it's uh, that even at his conception in the womb, uh, the Lord Jesus is uh, is completely God and completely man. He remains completely God and completely man even through his suffering and death and his resurrection and continues to be completely God and completely man, the the God-man, even now as he sits at the right hand of God. So that's good. That's good to remember that. But I don't get any points for it. it. Is it pretty safe to say that most Christian heresies attack either the Trinity itself or a person of the Trinity and uh, thus uh, becoming a, a Christian heresy? Especially the early ones uh, do, that's for sure. Um, and th- that's why the creeds were, um, were formed as they were, to hold forth that God is three persons, one God, one being. Uh, and yet then, uh, and with, when it comes to Jesus, you have, you have two natures and one person. So, so the creeds in their different ways are holding out these these two major truths, which make Christianity. If you deny the Trinity or you deny the two natures of Christ, uh, then you you cease to be uh, anywhere close to being an Orthodox Christian. Can I uh, take? Uh, let's take biblical names beginning with P uh, for one hundred, please. Yes, Jesus said to this man. Get behind me, Satan. Who is Peter? That's right. That's an interesting quote ding, you, ding, you ding, picked ding, for ding. Uh, for Peter. There's a, a plethora of, of Peter uh, clues you could give. Um, what's going on here when, when Jesus says to, to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan? Well, you remember that uh, that the Lord had asked, "What do who do men say that I am?" And they have given the answers: to prophets, or this and that. John the Baptist risen from the dead. And then Jesus said, "Who do you all say that I am?" And Jesus answered for the disciples, uh, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." This great confession, and and Jesus gives him this blessing. Then, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So that so that Peter has this great, marvelous blessing that that it's through him that that the Lord has given the confession of the true faith, and yet then Jesus goes to tell them what the Christ must do: that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer, that he must die, and and Peter says, "No, this is not the kind of Christ I'm hoping for, and the kind of Christ I want." And so the text says that he he brought Jesus aside and told him it, it cannot be so. He the text says that Peter, can you imagine, rebuked Jesus for talking about his suffering and his death, and so and so Jesus turns to Peter and he says, "Get behind me, Satan, because it's the devil who tries to." Uh, to tries to give us Jesus apart from the cross, Jesus apart from uh, uh, Jesus apart from his suffering and death and his bleeding for us. Uh, that that's that's the the devil the Jesus that the devil wants to give us. And so and so Jesus gives Peter the harshest rebuke after giving him the highest con- commendation. So Peter's kind of a theologian of glory then. 
Well, he is. That's right. Uh, he's he has his mind set not on uh, the things of God, but on earthly glory, on on the Messiah being the one who's going to overthrow the Roman rule and set up this golden age and all of this sort of thing. But Jesus says constantly, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. He came not to he came not to throw off uh, the Romans or to. Uh, uh, to rescue the Jews from their political troubles. He he came to bring the kingdom of God, which is the church, the forgiveness of sins, uh, the salvation uh, of uh, from sin and the overcoming of the devil. Th- this is the kind of kingdom that Jesus has uh, and the kind of kingdom that he wants to give us. So Peter wanted an earthly kingdom, and, and Jesus comes down on him hard. This is uh, important, too, because this is the text where, you know, our Roman Catholic friend will get the idea that Peter is the pope, but... Uh, it's almost as if the Lord wants us to see that there is no infallibility when it comes to his apostles uh, because right after Peter makes this strong confession of faith uh, then he also falls into error All right, uh, so that's a good warning as well that, that, so. that is, that is uh, I'll let you uh, plug along with the next one you want Christian Heresies or, oh yeah. yeah, 200, Christian Heresies for 200 now. okay, you'll get this one it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't set the expectations too high you're already smoking me here no, 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 you, you'll get it this is the uh, the heresy that, that denies original sin and teaches that man's will determines his eternal destiny. Uh, denies original sin and that man's will uh, determines his own destiny. We could call that uh, Pelagianism. Is that what you have for this one? That is. What is Pelagianism? Named after the, uh, oh, what century was he? The fellow Pelagius? He must have been third, fourth century. Yeah, yeah. Um, and his great opponent was St. Augustine. Pelagian taught that man had a free will towards the things of God, so uh, you could, uh, it was up to you, your own decisions and your own will, to determine if you were a Christian. St. Augustine said, no, that's wrong. Do we see that uh, manifest today at all? We, we do. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, we could say they're basically Pelagian. Uh, it, most other churches are what we call semi-Pelagian which is the idea that man's will is semi-free. In other words, either man's will is free to start the process of salvation and then God's grace comes along and helps it out, or God's grace comes along and helps us start and then man's will is there to finish uh, our conversion or our salvation. So that's semi-Pelagianism. And we see that kind of thing uh, whenever um, whenever we, we hear someone in the church call for the unconverted to make a decision for Christ or to choose him or something like that, that's just old semi-Pelagianism raising its head. It says that you're free to do that sort of thing. The Bible says differently that no, we're dead in trespasses and sins, that we, that we don't have a free will towards the things of God, uh, and that the Lord has to convert us by the power of his word before we have anything good, any salvation or hope of heaven. Well, we're almost out of time, but I do want to close up with this. The way it uh, denies original Whoa, sin. Whoa, we're out of time. Yes, yes. It's been – time flies when you're having fun, I'm telling you. I know it. <laughs> I do want – the I, way – At least the score is tied, so that's uh, that's something. You came – yeah, it's good that you went for that 200 there. Uh, but <laughs> I, want, I wanted to add that uh, the way that, that denies original sin then is because it, it says that man has a capability when the scriptures say uh, the fallen man is, is spiritually dead and, and – um, I don't hang around a, a lot of dead corpses, but I don't ever see them uh, doing anything. And so with that image of, of being spiritually dead, it, it seems that they can do nothing for their own salvation. That's exactly right. We are like Lazarus laying in the tomb. We have to wait for the Lord's word to come out, be alive. But when he speaks his word, uh, then we have it. We have life and salvation and everything good that he wants to give us. Pastor Wolfman, what do we have after this, after this break for Table Talk Radio? 
We're going to play Who Wants to Be a Theologian? Um, and I do. I want to be a theologian. So uh, this, this uh, Who Wants to Be a Theologian is my favorite game that we play on Table Talk Jeopardy, or on Table Talk Radio. I love it. Okay, so even uh, above Table Talk Jeopardy. They're all my favorites. Really. All right, all right. We'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio right after this. on Table Talk Radio. The potential theologian is Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Now I'm on the hot seat. I yes. was spending uh, my time during the break there counting up my points. Oh, from, wow. Uh, from that must have Talk taken Jeff. a long time, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry to announce for who, on, or, yeah, who wants to be a theologian um, offers no point value whatsoever. Um, instead, you, you reach different rankings. And um, somehow you begin as a seminarian, which I think was your idea. That's right. As and a lowly seminarian. That's as if you, you have you nothing sure at rip, all. <laughs> you you, you rip fact, on seminarians. <laughs> you, have, you, you have nothing to your name. You, you have, uh, the, uh, you, the only thing you have is, is empty hands and a guilty conscience, really. That's, that's a seminary. True, true in many ways. Okay, well, you have a few lifelines to help you out on this game. Who wants to be a theologian? You can phone a pastor. Phone a professor or phone your wife. All right. Those are your those are your lifelines. So you ready for the first question? Ready. All right, seminarian. Your question is how many books are in the Bible? Is it A twenty four, B sixty six, C seventy three, or D seventy eight? I guess it is whose Bible you're reading. Uh, Actually, depending on who you are, uh, you could probably find an answer in any one of these. That's right. But I am going to say uh, for uh, for the canon that we have is 66 books. That is true. Now, 24, an Orthodox Jew would probably answer 24. A, a Roman Catholic parishioner would probably answer 73. And the Eastern Orthodoxy would ascribe to 78 books of the Bible. Very good. Why is it that we only recognize 66 then? We say the, the Bible is made up of the writings of the apostles and the prophets. So the, the we have these uh, prophetic books of the Old Testament and apostolic books of the New Testament. Uh, those who have more, so we have more, of course, than Orthodox Jew because we have the New Testament and the prophets as well. Uh, we have less than the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church because we do not include the Greek Apocrypha. There was a number of writings after the last prophet, Malachi, uh, between the time of Malachi and John the Baptist, uh, that were written uh, in Greek in, in this intertestamental time. Because they're not prophetic, there was no prophetic voice at that time, we don't consider them to be uh, uh, scriptural uh, texts. So, so those, uh, but the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox uh, do use those books liturgically, so they have them in their canon. Right. They're, they're not bad books, they're good to read, uh, they're just not uh, prophetic. Right. Okay, so now now that you answered that correctly, you are now a seminarian. So congratulations. Oh, I thought I started as well, a seminarian. you know, because then you know you gotta you gotta achieve the last step. So okay, so you are now a seminarian, hoping to be a peasant. Very good. So Moving, uh, to move up in the world. Yeah, how is that? A seminarian's below a peasant? Is that is that right? I mean, uh, it's a mighty leap, I think, from one to the <laughs> other. Therefore, the question <laughs> is, uh, which is which was created on the fourth day? Is it A, Adam and Eve? B, light, C, sun, moon, and stars, or D, MySpace? 
<laughs> That's a good question. I don't think it was MySpace. Uh, the, the way we can remember the days of creation is this. is The first three days, the Lord is kind of opening things up, and then the last set of three, he's filling them. So on the first day, he opens, the, uh, he opens up light and dark. Uh, on the second day, he, he opens up the, the sea and the sky. And the third day, he opens up the land. And then the fourth day, he fills what he opened on the third day. So he, on the first day. So on the first day, he, he made light and dark. On the fourth day, he filled them with sun, moon, and stars. Uh, the, the fifth day, he filled the sky and the sea with birds and fish. And the sixth day, he filled the land with beasts and things like this. So, so the question was the fourth day. We know on the fourth day was created sun, moon, and stars. And the answer for that was a B. Uh, the, uh, sun, moon, and stars is C. C. Is so that your final answer? That is my final answer. All right. That is correct. All right. Now, there are those who um, would probably uh, scoff at what you just said, saying that, don't you know that we uh, have evolved over uh, billions of years? How do we how do we answer a, such a claim? The answer is no. I don't know that I've involved over years. I mean, but this maybe an authority question. I mean, there are, there are plenty of resources out there for people who want to defend the the biblical account that that the Lord created the earth in six twenty four hour days. Uh, that the earth was created not terribly long ago, thousands of years, not but trillions of years. This sort of thing. Uh, so there's a lot of resources for you. And oh, in fact, you did a yes. table uh, scraps interview with a, a gentleman. That's right, who- Dr. Charles Jackson of Points of Origins Ministry. Uh, he was with us uh, several weeks ago to talk about that movie that came out with Ben Stein, No Intelligence Allowed, which kind of talked about that same And thing. you can find that interview that you did with him on on our website, uh, tabletalkradio.org. Uh, so there's a lot of resources. But I, the question for me is just a simple one. I mean, it's uh, – look, no no one was there. Remember how God asked Job, were you there when I found formed the foundations of the earth? And the answer is no, no one was there. Uh, but the Lord was there, and he tells us what happened. So, so when we trust his word, uh, we, we know how, how things went before there was anyone around to pay attention to them. All right. Congratulations, peasant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> I, should have answered, I should have answered it as a seminarian, but we'd still be going on for another oh, two or yeah, three hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't think seminarians knew anything to talk about. That's true. That's true. Okay, well, to... to to achieve the status of monk, you must then answer the question. The words of institution are found in all the following books of the Bible, except, is it A, Matthew, B, Mark, C, Luke, or D, John? Very good uh, question again, Evan. And uh, the answer uh, is the, the last one, John. Uh, the words of institution are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and First Corinthians. What do we refer to when you talk about the words of institution? Oh, first of all? yes, that's right. Uh, the words that Jesus used to institute his New Testament, or what we call the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar. Uh, when he says, uh, take and eat, this is my body given for you. Take and drink, this is the blood of the New Testament shed for you for the remission of all of your sins. And we find those in, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. Uh, John has a long account of the night on which Jesus was betrayed. It extends from, oh, John 14 all the way to the end of John 17. And it has all of the things that happened around the Lord's Supper. But uh, John, knowing the other uh, Gospels were already written uh, and that he didn't need to have it again, uh, leaves the institution of the Lord's Supper out of that uh, discussion okay so uh you have reached the uh the level of monk very good moving right along the reformer so the reformer is the next uh, step you can achieve is that it is that as high as you can get is to no no okay there's there's one more after reformer Uh, and i'm not sure you can reach it that far so don't don't get too uh (laughs) too antsy here okay reformer uh which book of the bible contains the following verse 
For the word of God is a living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. Would it be A, Galatians, B, Hebrews, C, 1 Timothy, or D, the Gospel of Thomas? <laughs> well, let's take the Gospel of Thomas out first of all, because I know that verse and I don't any- know anything in the Gospel of Thomas. <laughs> one of these apocryphal New Testament books, which is included by no one in the canon, by the way. Good to know. Good uh, to know. In one of these Gnostic texts. So that leaves Galatians, uh, Hebrews, and uh, 1 Timothy. Correct. We know that uh, their Gal- Tim- 1 Timothy has this marvelous verse about the Scriptures being inspired by God. 1 Timothy uh, 3.16. Or is that goodness? Second Timothy three sixteen. I think Second Timothy. Second Timothy three sixteen. Uh, so, so that has that uh, doctrine uh, covered. Uh, but this verse happens to be in the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, where it speaks of the word of God being li- living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe it's uh, Hebrews chapter four. Uh, if I remember right, is that right? I don't have it in front of me. I was I was <laughs> checking your reference on the uh, Second Timothy, and you are it is Second Timothy. Second Timothy three sixteen. But so. so the answer is Hebrews. Uh, what was that? I can't remember which one, number it was. Uh, that was uh, letter B. Letter B. B. Hebrews. That is correct. What do you think is uh, you know being referred to with a two edged sword? Well, it, uh, perhaps that it cuts both ways. That we have a little law and a little gospel. Uh, that the that the Lord's word um, uh, divides soul from spirit. It comes with the law, which brings us to repentance, and then it brings us to life uh, through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, very good. Well, the last step, should you uh, achieve it, is being excommunicated, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is by no means a good thing. However, the reference to excommunication here would be, of course, the excommunication of Martin Luther, who was excommunicated for the uh, purity of the, of the true gospel. Very so, good. So I do want to make that distinction. This is our last, our last question, is that and right? And the last question is, and it's not a multiple choice. You really have to, to strut your stuff here, the last one. And that is, name three occurrences of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Three occurrences of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I'm going to use for the, I'm going to use one of my lifelines. Your lifelines, okay. And for the lifeline, I'm going to call a pastor. Call uh, a pastor. Now, who is this pastor you're calling? A pastor, Jared Melius, pastor of Mount Zion Lutheran Church in uh, in Denver, Colorado. Okay, why don't you go ahead and pick up the phone there and dial? Hello. Hello, is this Pastor Melius? This is Pastor Amelia. This is Regis Philman for, uh, oh, I mean, this is Evan Gigline on Table Talk Radio, and we're playing Who Wants to Be a Theologian? And uh, your friend here, Pastor Rolf Miller, uh, needs your help. So, uh, All right. uh, do you remember the question, Pastor Rolf Miller? Uh, I remember. Are you ready, Pastor Amelius? This is to be. I'm. I've reached the level now of a of a, a reformer. A reformer, right? And if I if I get this question right, I get excommunicated. So this is the level that we're working with here. The question is: Name three occurrences of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You only get to use my uh, me as a lifeline once. Yes. No, if no. You, you can it. tell me all three if you want. Yeah. <laughs> And you used it for this question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've answered all the other ones right, so uh, this is a. Uh, this, this is a. Uh, I thought this would be a good one for you. I have to name three. Yes. Can you get two of them? I can get one for sure. Okay, give me one. Uh, uh, I think uh, Genesis one uh, one. Yes, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the water. Yeah, that's the only one I know. Okay, that, t- was, that was the only one he knew too. So I guess he <laughs> lost. That's it. You wasted your lifeline on me. There's another one here. Uh, of course, uh, Psalm 51, uh, where the Holy Spirit is referred to three times. Uh, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
so uh, David's uh, prayer of repentance uh, refers to the Holy Spirit there as well. So there's two. Now we just need one more. Oh, and I so and I just got one. The, you have the Valley of the Dry Bones. Is this there too, where uh, he says, "Breathe on the bones," and the Spirit then comes into them and 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 gives them the resurrection. Uh, this this uh, Valley of Dry Bones. Very good. Well, I I think we should uh, close out this segment then of Table Talk Radio, and uh, not not to fear. We'll be right back with more Table Talk Radio when we cover uh, question listener questions and answers. And so we are right back for that here on Table Talk. Radio. Radio, where we're answering some comments and questions from callers, you can do so by uh, emailing us questions at tabletalkradio.org, or you can call us. What the number is 866-851-5523. Leave a message for us, and we'll play your question on the air, and we'll respond to it as quickly as we can. So, we have a few questions that we're going to ask here, or listeners have asked of us through email. And the first one is: Are you ready, Pastor Wolf Miller? Ready, I'm ready. The the first question is: Where is God a catastrophe? That's a great question. I mean, especially now, you know. I mean, it, it seems like there's always something bad happening. But we sit here, uh, you know, listening on the news to the tragedy in, in Burma with this, uh, right. uh, with this big weather disaster, with the earthquake in China, and all of this sort of thing. And we just look at that and we say, "What is going on? I mean, how could God be involved in that?" And it's an ancient question. But it, look, Evan, it's not just you know these huge catastrophes that kill hundreds of lives, but individual catastrophes as well. We listened in our last show. We talked about this guy who was suffering from this extreme guilt. We listened to this ER clip about where, where is God in all of this? Can I be forgiven of my sins and, and all of this? Uh, these, are, these are serious questions when each of us face illness, tragedy, and at last our own death. So we want to know what's going on. Does God love me or does God hate me? And it's the ancient question. It's, it has this name. It's called theodicy. Uh, which means God and justice. How can how can bad things and a good God coexist together? Right. Didn't you write an article about this very topic? Yeah, we do. And if you're interested in it, you can uh, find it. Is it on our website? Maybe we should put it up there. We can send it out to you if you're interested. Where is God in disaster and catastrophe? I mean, look, we, because we think there's a contradiction here. Either God is good or God is powerful. But so the question goes, God can't be both good and powerful. Because why? Because if God was good and powerful, then he wouldn't let anything bad happen. So he must not be one or the other. And there was this uh, this world-famous book written a few uh, decades back. Uh, it was called, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And the answer that the book gives is that God isn't all-powerful. He's loving, but he's not powerful to do anything about it. So what certain assumptions uh, go along with, with the uh, statement, or I guess the question, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? What assumptions are at play there? Well, uh, the first assumption is that bad things happen, and that's, I think, a fair assumption. I mean, there are people who would deny it, the Buddhists, for example, uh, who say that suffering is an illusion and that you escape it by meditation, this sort of thing. But no, we, we, I think we want to acknowledge the fact that bad things happen. But the second assumption is why do they happen to good people? And, and that's now where we get the big question, 
is anyone good? I mean, we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. How do you get to heaven? The answer is, oh, well, to be good enough. This is just a natural assumption that natural man has of himself, that he's just a generally good person. And so he thinks that good things ought to happen. But that is it true? Does the scripture say that we're good? Well, you know, I, I look at the uh, what God demands of me in, in the Ten Commandments, for example, and I find myself unable to keep the Ten Commandments. So I guess... The scriptures would say that I'm not good. Yeah, that's exactly right. They say, Paul says it like this in the beginning of Romans. He says, there's no one righteous. No, not one. No, in other words, no one is good. So that the right question would be to ask, why do bad things happen to bad people? And that's not, I mean, that's not such a difficult question. I mean, it's because we're sinners. Now, we don't want to do this sort of thing, though, and say that there's a one-to-one correspondence between the bad things that happen to us and our individual sins. I mean, we don't have the prophets to tell us that we're being punished for this certain thing or punished for that certain thing. But we know that all the suffering that we have in this life is due to the fact that we are sinners, and so we are dying. Okay, so um, what then is the remedy of of that? Uh, I mean, Christ came uh, to earth to... To take on sin, does that mean there will be no catastrophe from here on out? Uh, no. Uh, in fact, if we, when we talk about, the, go, to go back to this question of why do bad things happen to good people, what we the only time we ever see a bad thing happening to a good person is in the death of Jesus. He was the only good person. And yet to him happens all of the wickedness and, and, and tragedy in the whole world. I mean, when our sin is laid upon him and he suffers the wrath of God that we deserved, I mean, that is a, a bad thing for Jesus to suffer all of those things. But, but it's, in, uh, it's in Jesus on his cross. You see, there's something really marvelous here that Jesus in his cross, he joins himself to our tragedies. He joins himself to the catastrophe of our sin and death. He, he sinks himself into our, into our troubles. And, and this is the most important thing of all, because, look, if we were to look around us to try to determine if God loves us, in other words, we look at the tragedy that's going on throughout all the world, and then we look at the tragedies in our own life, and we say, does God love me? It must not be. He must hate me. I mean, look, I'm sitting here dying of cancer, or I've lost a child, or a loved one, or the death surrounds me, and I'm suffering, and I'm sorrowful, and all of these sorts of things. How can God let this happen to me? When we look at ourselves and the situation of the world, uh, God is certainly there, but he's hidden there. He's not seen there. He's not, he, he hasn't put himself there to be found. Where he puts himself to be found is on the cross. I mean, that's where we know what he thinks of us, how he feels about us that's where we know that he loves us. So we can just as well undo God's love for us as we can go back in time and pry the nails out of Jesus' hands and peel him off the cross. I mean, you can't do it. It's impossible. So it's impossible to undo God's love for us. There's, There's nothing that we can do. So tragedy, which the devil would use to try to tempt us to think that God doesn't love us, it's in the midst of tragedy that we fix our eyes on Jesus And then when we see him dying for us, going through this tragedy of his death for us, then we know that God loves us. So where is God in disaster and catastrophe? I mean, that's the original question that we want to answer. Mm -hmm. The answer is God is there, but he's hidden. He's there in the cancer. He's there in the hurricane. He's there somehow, mysteriously, he's there, but he's hidden there. He hasn't revealed himself there, but he has revealed himself on the cross. And so when we want to know how God thinks of us, uh, how he considers us, then we fix our eyes on the cross, and then we know the answer. It's he loves us, and he's forgiven us. Very good. Well, you want to hit the next question? Sure. 
The next question is, what happens when you die? Let's have it, Evan. What happens when you die? Well, uh, the scriptures reveal to us uh, what happens when you die for for the, for the Christian, for those who have been baptized into Christ, who possess faith, that they'll be uh, they will be present with Christ. That's right. And for those who don't believe, well, then they will uh, be separated uh, eternally f- uh, from them, right. from Christ. What the Bible calls eternal death or condemnation, or hell, really, is what that is. Uh, so that there's two different things that happen. But at the at the minute we die, really, the definition of death is a separation of body and soul. Uh, and so, so the body and soul are, are unnaturally torn apart, rended like this. And the body then still with sin and corruption goes to the earth from which it came. The soul goes uh, either to be with God in, in bliss in heaven or to, or to be uh, separated from God uh, with, the, uh, with the demons in hell. So, so, this is, uh, so what we're saying, now we can list a few things that don't happen when you die. For example... Well, before you hit that, oh, yes, doesn't, yes. doesn't the scripture sometimes talk about falling asleep then? Is sleep referred to, or do we fall asleep? What's going on with sleep and death? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the scriptures do. In fact, Jesus does, and it's simply marvelous. There's a bunch of what the old theologians called the the dulce nomine morte, the sweet names of death. They're these names that the Bible gives to death uh, that, that speak of it kind of sweetly, lovingly. So, so one of the names that the Bible gives to death is going to be with your fathers in the Old Testament. You have that idea of, of the saints in heaven. Uh, you also have the, the uh, wonderful name uh, of passing from death to life, uh, being d- delivered from evil, like we have in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Death is called this. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain, uh, so that death is called gain. That's really marvelous. Uh, but perhaps one of the most wonderful ones of all is that, and this comes from Jesus, and the apostles pick it up as well, is that death is called a sleep. So that, so that when, we, uh, when we die, it's as if we, we fall asleep. There's this wonderful hymn that says, May I fear the grave as little as my bed. So we don't, we're not afraid to go to bed at night. We're not afraid to, to lay down our head and sleep, and so we shouldn't be afraid to lay down our head to die. And that's the idea there. Okay, you were gonna, you were mentioning something before, but I interrupted you. Oh no, that's right. We were talking about what doesn't happen when you die. First of all, you don't become nothing. I mean, you know, a lot of people say dead is dead, and and you go back to the earth, and that's it. That's the end. And no, there uh, certainly life goes on after death. That's one thing. Another thing that doesn't happen is reincarnation. We don't come back as another person or another uh, some sort of being, something like this, like the Hindus uh, would teach. Uh, the the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then to be judged. So so on death our our bodies go to the ground and await the resurrection, but our souls for the Christians go to be with Christ to live eternally there. What about angels? Do you become angels? No, you don't become an angel. Uh, you know you hear that a lot though. Now so and so is up there watching over us. Uh, there God needed another angel, so they called our loved one to be with it. But no, angels are totally different. There's people and there's angels. They're different categories of creation. Uh, and, and the angels stay angels, people stay people. Once we're in heaven, you know, our souls are there with the God uh, and in the face of Christ, but that doesn't last long either, uh, only until the Lord returns, and then our bodies and souls will be put back together in the resurrection. We should talk about the resurrection sometime uh, more on the show. Well, maybe when the, when the next listener writes in a question about the resurrection or anything else that's on their mind, they can do so by calling our, our toll-free number, 866-851-5523. Or email us questions at tabletalkradio.org. Anything else where we log off, Pastor Wolf Miller? No, thanks for listening. It's, a, it's always a delight to hear the Lord's Word, to hear how we do get to heaven. 
and, uh, and to hear the Lord's word, which gives us life and salvation. And I pray that the Lord would keep us all in that word until we meet again next time. All right. See you next time on Table Talk Radio. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. If you're still not full after an hour of Table Talk Radio, listen to Table Scraps, the Internet-exclusive edition of Table Talk Radio. On Table Scraps, you will hear additional interviews and discussions, and it's only available on tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.